Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things. Here on a Monday afternoon on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Jeff Woody. It's Big 12 Championship Week. I'm, uh, I'm not, I don't know if excited is the right term. Like it's, it's, it's not necessarily like just a pure, except like exclusively excitement. It's kind of like, uh, like finally, like that, it feels like this, the last eight or so days has been four months long. That's what it kind of feels like. So uh, it's excited, but it's also just like, okay, let's just, we're here, let's get to it. Uh, which I think is sort of, I don't know, it's sort of indicative of, I don't know, at least this, my opinion of it is, it's sort of indicative of probably what the team feels like, which isn't Cinderella at the ball, where you're like, shoot, we got to get this thing going or we're going to lose our, our juice. It's fine. It's like, can we just get going already? Like there's, we got stuff to do. Like, that's what it kind of feels like. And that, I don't know that the team probably isn't like, man, hope that we do well this week. It's sort of like, okay, let's, let's get to work. We have, we have stuff to do. Let's finally get to the, let's get to the game on Saturday. Yeah. I feel like this week is going to fly by in comparison to last week. Uh, partially because of just the, everything going on with the game. Uh, there's also a lot going on in Iowa State, in Iowa State world this week between the football game, obviously, is the big one. Uh, there's two conference men's basketball games. National Signing Day is on Wednesday. There's two conference women's basketball games. Uh, the, the content plan that I put out, out this week was the longest one in the history of Cyclone Fanatic, I'm willing to bet. We're going to have like 30 pieces of content in the next four days. So uh, it, it's just going to be a wild and crazy week. And this, uh, this will be – I will have my first – Cyclone Fanatic column for 2020 this week, uh, and in preparation of it, and this is, and we're, I'm not going to tease anything from the actual article itself, but like the, I went back and rewatched the original Iowa State OU, like the OU, Iowa State OU game from what was it September October, uh -huh. um, and there is a lot of takeaways from it that I think are beneficial to both Iowa State being significantly better now than they were then especially on offense and that OU is better now than they were then, but they're kind of getting miss. OU's getting a little bit miscategorized uh, in the current parlance of what's going on in like the talking head world. Um, so I think that's, that's most of what we're going to talk about today is like what, 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 what's, what's going to happen Saturday and what are these two teams now versus what they were earlier in the season? I think that's the main, you know, what we as what we, I say me can actually provide to this week because there's so much going on in Iowa State football. There's so much content that you can actually like consume what I can provide dork level diagnostics on OU and Iowa state. That's what I'm here to provide. <laughs> Yeah, and I think to a, to an outsider, when you look at what's different about Oklahoma now from then, obviously you have some younger guys who have gotten experience, notably Spencer Rattler, but you also add back Ramon J. Stevenson at the running back position, who is uh, who's been big for them uh, during the latter part of the season, as well as Ronnie Perkins, who you know arguably could be the best defensive lineman in the Big Twelve, not named Jaquan Bailey in my mind, or one of the Stills brothers, and, and he's just been a monster since he came back from suspension uh, early in the year. The, 
I, I think that's what it is. It's like they've just they've gotten some of their pieces back. Some of their pieces have grown up a little bit, and now they're less like what they were, where it was just a bunch of inexperienced guys earlier in the season. Well, that and um, so I, I think defensively, uh, number seven is who you're talking about. Yeah. And th- this is me as having watched the game film style and just not it's not names. It's number seven on defense, and he is the biggest addition back to Oklahoma that they've had, including Ramondre Stevenson, including having guys grow up a little bit. It's having that pass rusher on defense, that go-to pass rusher on defense, puts a lot of pressure on opposing teams for when Oklahoma gets to execute in the way that they want to execute. But the thing that is, so, but the thing that's getting still a little bit miscategorized is Oklahoma, if people are, you know, just based on past trends, you know, you look at the Baker Mayfield years, the Kyler Murray years, the Jalen Hurts years, that like Oklahoma is this offensive juggernaut, which under Lincoln Riley is generally true. Um, but this, it, the offense that, that sputtered against Kansas State in the second half of Oklahoma and that in against Iowa State, Oklahoma had 17 points in about 18 minutes of game clock the remaining 38 or, or excuse me what or the remaining uh was it 32 whatever whatever the remainder of that is i'm 42. bad at math right now 32 the remaining 42. 32 minutes they had 13 points 42 42 minutes 15 minutes so the remaining 42 minutes they had 15 or 13 points they had 17 points right away so what I mean, what happened that caused Oklahoma to sputter. Well, for that information, go back and listen to the episode on Iowa State, Oklahoma, back in, back when we actually showed it the first time, or we, when we recorded it the first time. I'm not going to dig into that. But what happened when Iowa State played Oklahoma the first time is that they screwed around with Spencer Rattler's pre- and post-snap reads. It, you know, as we talked about it super in-depth, that was like an hour and a half of me getting a football eggplant emoji talking about what... John Haycock did to Iowa State, uh, Oklahoma's offense. So what they did is, in, in a very short description, is there's a pre-snap read and a post-snap read, and those two things generally are the same if your pre-snap read is good. You know, like if you're driving and you see a car that has their right turn signal on and you are trying to enter onto a street and that one's coming from your left with the right turn signal on, you're like, okay, they're probably turning onto the street that I am on. Well, that is your pre-snap read. You haven't entered the intersection yet. You haven't, they are just indicating by being in the right lane with their right turn signal on, this is what probably is going to happen because of past experience that you have driving, you see that and what's going on. Well, if you go to pull out in the intersection, uh, you are anticipating that that person has, is going to be slowing down and turning into the street that you're on so you are safe to enter the intersection. But if they just keep bl- flying by, they've just left their right turn signal on and that the, then that is your post-snap read. You've entered the intersection, the car isn't slowing down, you have to now adjust your game plan, whether that's throw the brakes on and back, you know, like quickly back into the spot you were in before or like zip into the lane, but you've now changed what you have to do based on actually entering the intersection. That's what a football pre and post-snap read is, is what are all the signs and signals that you're getting before the thing happens to indicate what they're gonna do. And most teams have a pretty true, uh, this is what we want, pre-snap read. This is what we do post-snap read. And Spencer Rattler as a young quarterback, which is what we thought 
is just being a young quarterback, which is true, he's a freshman, uh, will see a post-snap read and stick with his post-snap read beyond what he probably should. Like he gives way too much credit to the, to the right turn lane or the, the blinker in the right turn lane and saying that that guy is going to turn. And I don't really care. He's going to turn. Well, Iowa State gave him that blinker in the right turn lane and then floored it when he pulled out in the intersection. So they flipped the pre and post snap read. They gave him one thing uh, pre-snap and then did another thing after the snap. And that really screwed with him. In the back half of the game, he was way off and he got hit hard. He stopped running as efficiently. He started running sooner than he needed to and it slowed Iowa State or Oklahoma's offense down. Well, no other, that, that, that worked. Like that is, if you want to slow down Spencer Rattler, Haycock put the book on the table and said like, all right, this is how you do it. Like if you're going to, if you're going to beat Oklahoma, do, do this. Well, no team did that, which is, in, that's the interesting part is no team actually took up that playbook and said, all right, we're going to do this. And I don't know if they didn't have kind of the nuts to do it, or if they didn't have the horses to do it, like to the actual players or the confidence to accomplish that task of flipping your pre and post snap reads except Baylor did. So at the, the very, one of the last few games of the season, Baylor and Dave Aranda looked at what Iowa State did. And Baylor is over the past few years has a habit of just stealing what Iowa State does defensively. So what Iowa State or what Baylor did is they threw that pre and post snap read change at Spencer Rattler and the Oklahoma offense. So that is including the Creed Humphrey and Ramondre Stevenson and all the, the players on there. And I think in the first half, they had 92 yards of offense. And what's interesting then, what that kind of indicates is that the thing that, that Spencer Rattler had as a weakness in his armor on offense is you can screw with his reads, is you can kind of mess with his head. And so like, what's his greatest strength other than just natural talent is his confidence that he can make every throw. That Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes confidence of like, you know what, if there is four inches of open space, I'm gonna zip that ball in that open space. The downside though, is that confidence comes with the other side and a young quarterback that what your read is, is right. Iowa State knows that that's the book. Like they, they put the book on the table. No one picked it up except Baylor. Baylor did it and it worked. So I would imagine Iowa State's going to reduce, they're going to do a similar thing. So to bring that back to the point I was saying is Oklahoma is not necessarily, in my mind, this offensive juggernaut that they have been put out to be because they still have the same weaknesses in, or, or same potential chinks in the armor that were present earlier that got exposed against Baylor that are likely going to get shown up that they're going to show up again on Saturday. But what is true is that this defense is a problem like this Oklahoma defense is a, is significantly better. And that is the phrase that I never thought that I would say. So with, with Iowa state doing it that way, how, how difficult is that just generally to, to be able to, to do that defensively? What Iowa State's doing. We'll, we'll talk about the Oklahoma defense in a little bit, but to, so to do what to Iowa the, State's doing. To flip pre and post snap reads, you just have to have a confidence that you're going to get there, like that you can actually do your job from a different location. So like what a, the reason why pre-snap reads are generally so reliable is because there are certain layouts that are only feasible to get there if you are not necessarily cheating, but like you can't hide it very well. If you are if you're not supremely confident in your skill and technique to get to that spot. Like for example, 
If you are playing a cover three defense, that means a safety is in the middle of the field. You have two people, or a safety of, or maybe a corner or something like that. But you have generally a safety in the middle of the field, and then two other people, whether it's an other safeties or whether it's corners or something like that, occupying the other, like outside the hash and outside the other hash. And in order to occupy the middle of the field, you have to be in the middle of the field. You can't be standing on one of the hashes and occupy the middle of the field all the way across the other hash. So you have to get to the middle of the field. So most of the time, if you're gonna run a cover three, you're gonna run a cover three with your safety lined up in the middle of the field because you can't, you have to get there. So if you start on the hash and try and run there and you're not there in time, if a guy runs up the seam, so like right up the hash and you're not there, there's nobody behind him, you're gonna get gashed for a touchdown. So the reason why Iowa State can do it is that they run a relatively simple system with a bunch of dudes that understand exactly what they're doing. So they're able to take Greg Eisworth and go, all right, buddy, you're going to run, you're going to be in a deep third, but you're going to show a cover two look. You're going to be in a, you're going to play down in the box, but it's going to look like you're deep because he knows exactly where to go. And he also knows that let's say, you know, every defense has a weakness. So, you know, if, if Iowa State's defense, we like to talk about a million times is anything short, like anything short and in kind of the hook curl zones by your linebackers. If you can drill it to that spot a thousand times, you can be successful. Well, if you know that the weakness of your defense is, let's call it the, the curl flat area, and you look at the opposing offense and you've done enough scouting, you've done enough confident film study and you've been coached well enough to see that, oh, oh it looks like the formation and the play that they're about to run is gonna be right there. I'm trying to show a fake look, which is puts me farther away from where I need to be. I'm gonna get rid of this fake look because what they're trying to do is going, I'm not gonna be able to get there in time. So I'm gonna abandon my fake look because the fake is less important than doing my job. So you have to have guys on defense that are one, really confident in their technique and an understanding of the scheme to know where they have to be and how far away they can actually show their kind of their, their fake, where, where they are trying to pretend to be. And two is you have to have guys that are smart enough that when they see an opposing team and their film study is strong enough and their capacity to uh, diagnose generally based on formation and personnel and where the quarterback's eyes are and what the tackle stance is and all these different things, all these different tips that, they're, that, that offenses will give to say, hey, we're probably running one of these three plays. And that person then goes, okay, I can still get away with this fake because they're probably not gonna be running in the area where I am weak. So it's an understanding of what you're doing and an understanding of what an opponent might do. And what's so hard about that for other teams is they try and install so much in a week and try and introduce new coverages and new fronts and whatever. Uh, they play, hey, this team's really bad against cover four and we've never played cover four. So we're just gonna practice only cover four the entire week. And then we run it three times the game and haven't practiced the other stuff. Where Iowa State, generally speaking, doesn't run a lot of different things they just run a thousand variations of the same thing. So understanding the rules is really easy for most of the guys on defense, just because one, they're really well coached and two, the, the coaching staff keeps it simple. So you can know how much freedom you have because you're super comfortable within your own defense. So it's just really, it's, it's a really challenging thing to do because you have to have the right personnel grouping, the right system, and then match the two things together of personnel grouping with a system. So, Iowa State's in a rare position, and Baylor with Dave Rand.
of being a really good defensive coach are in rare positions that they can actually institute uh, a really simply complex defense. Well, and that, that probably is where it plays into the fact that Iowa State has so many guys who have played two and three years as well. I mean, At key positions. Yeah, like it, it, basically every position, they have a guy who has played a ton of football for them. You know, like they know the scheme, like the back of their hands, basically. Yeah, and the other thing that uh, coming into this COVID season, um, back in March, uh, John Haycock did an interview with, I think it was Heft, uh, or maybe it was Walters, before the game uh, on, I think it might have been West Virginia, something like that. It was just in the car on the way up to the Aaron's parents' house and was listening to the radio. And, and he said something that was very indicative of kind of the way that, you know, it's just a, it's a good pinning down of what's going on is, you know, they, they weren't able to have spring practice. They weren't able to have fall practice. They literally could just do Zoom meetings. So they're like, you know what? Let's not introduce anything new. Let's just coach what these guys have already done because then we can coach through Zoom effectively is we're going to be really, really, really good at getting these guys to understand everything about just our stuff, about our things. And once we understand what our things are, then we can add tweaks. So they didn't add, they didn't install next to anything, I would imagine, from last year to this year. So everybody that played last year, which was almost everyone on this defense, got to just watch their own film of their own self doing the same thing. So this defense is able to execute in a very confusing level for opposing offenses because they're just a consistent version, different versions of the same thing. And it's really hard to tell which one, which version you're going to get when, you know, Jake Hummel is seven yards off the ball, five yards away from the tackle and ends up being a blitzer. Like those things are really difficult to do because Iowa State knows what they're doing within their system, but no one else really does. So after saying all of that, then how much can that Iowa State defense, like that seems to me like they would drastically benefit from having last week off and being able to watch Oklahoma film more or less on repeat for two weeks. I would imagine. Yeah, I would imagine a a fair amount because – so back to this pre-snap read thing, defenses have pre-snap reads as well. I mean, everybody on the field has certain reads that they have to do. So if you're a run, like when I was playing running back, the, the pre-snap reads that you would have, uh, a lot of times you're going to look like back to, back to front or front to back, depending on what you're doing. Is So if I see, let's say it's a pass play and I'm a running back and I see a safety that is cheated down a little bit. So he's, he's closer to the ball than he normally would be. And he's a little wider than he normally would be. And I see the corner and is playing pretty much man coverage, like press man, but his eyes aren't looking at the receiver. His eyes are looking in at the ball. So those two things combined tell me that there's probably going to be a corner blitz because that corner is closer than he normally is. And in order to make up for him leaving, the safety has to be closer to where he, the corner currently is that I know, okay, pre-snap read, that's what I got to look at. So I'm just going to then put that together. If the corner's coming, I got to look at the defensive line. They're probably not running at that corner because then there's too many guys in one space. The, the defensive line is probably running away from that corner. So they're probably slanting away from that guy to give him space to get there. So like you have to just put these context clues together. Defenses do the same thing. So like this is one thing that uh, the best example of this is the, uh, the, the Oklahoma State game that, you know, our big claim to fame was when Jake not tipped that ball and Teron Benton got the interception, it was because Jake had gone through his pre-snap read and filled out everything before the play happened, which was, okay, 
they are in a three by one. So there's three receivers on one side, one receiver on the other. And then once they're in this three by one in that game, Justin Blackman, who's normally the number one or number two receiver in that setup, was lined up at number three. So that indicates, so then you just whittle down, okay, they've put him as a number three receiver for a, number three receiver for a purpose. Let me go back through my mental Rolodex of all the plays that I've watched. They've only run one play out of the, or one or two plays out of this formation, and it's probably gonna be a square in at about 10 to 12 yards. Okay, that's probably what they're gonna do. Let me confirm that. If they're gonna run a square in, they're not gonna run someone underneath it at the same time, they're either going to run him under way before or way after. Let me look at the number one receiver. He was tighter than normal. So this, by my pre-snap read, I've determined that's probably what's going to happen. So I'm going to sort of expect that in the back of my mind. Boom, it happens. He's successful. Bring that back to Iowa State, Oklahoma. Being able to watch and say, all right, when they have this, you know, Say even just in run game, run game or passing game. It's not all Spencer Rattler throwing. It's Ramondre Stevenson being able to run the ball. Oklahoma likes to do their double guard pull thing. And then their kind of backside guard and tackle, they'll do a, a double pull in front of it. That's kind of their Oklahoma counter. Like it is their play. Well, they run like 13 different things off of that, but each one probably has its own little indicator of what you're probably going to get. As you, if you see, um, you, you'll hear the expression light on his hands. So like if a 330 pound guard has to move his big ass backwards and, and sideways because he's pulling, he's probably not going to put, you know, 70% of his weight on his hand. If he's going straight forward, he's going to put 70% on his hand so he can like actually explode forward. Because if his weight's on his heels, he can't go forward. If his weight's on his toes, he can't go backwards. So you, you can look at a stance and go, hey, that guard is light on his hands. So we probably are getting a pull here. And that fullback is wider than he normally is, which usually could indicate he's going to the flat. I think there's going to be a play action here based on my film study over the past two weeks, plus however many times you watched Oklahoma, you're not going to get as sucked into this run fake because you have a better understanding of your pre-snap read of the entire offense. So your point of them being able to watch, just knowing that they're in and knowing who they're going to play, being able to just watch OU in the back half of this season and watching Baylor as really good game tape, which is a similar defense to yours, you can see what Oklahoma wants to do in certain fronts, what person body language is, what formation groupings are. So uh, Iowa State's defense is not... I, I don't feel like the game is going to be lost. It, you know, it, it's going to be a super competitive game, but I don't think it's going to be one of those ones where Iowa State has to keep up in a boat race. You know, it's not going to be a 44 to 42 kind of thing where they're getting outscored and, you know, maybe the score ends up jumping that high, but that could be, you know, interceptions or fumbles or special team stuff. The defense probably is going to have a fair idea of what Oklahoma is doing, especially after the first quarter. See, and that's where, like, it gives me confidence again, knowing like that these guys have all played so much and that they've played together because it's just, it's crazy to hear you break that down. And I know that when you're reading all of those keys at the same time, you know, like you can't communicate that. Like when you're talking about what you're seeing with the corner and the safety and all stuff, it's not like you can see that and then look at the quarterback and be like, Hey, 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 this is what I think they're doing. You know, mm -hmm. like knowing that those guys, I mean, I feel like they all have confidence in each other where it's like, whether it's, you know, the three linebackers have all played so much football together. It's like, 
O'Ryan Vance knows that Jake Hummel knows what he's supposed to do. He knows that Mike Rose knows what he's supposed to do. He knows that Greg Eisworth knows what he's supposed to do. So it's like they can get complicated because they all have confidence in each other to know what they're supposed to do in those exact moments where it's like where they're reading their keys and you're like, I know that that guy is going to read his keys correctly mm-hmm. most of the time. You know, and especially when you're trying to introduce these little tweaks yeah. to the same thing, is you know I, I would imagine, and so I never played defensive back, so this is a this is speaking a little bit from projection, not from actual experience. But I would imagine in the secondary you have a fair amount of freedom as long as everyone understands what you're doing. So like, if there's five defensive five three safeties, two corners, like Iowa State plays a lot, is if they have those three safeties and two corners, and they're playing a cover three, and let's say just all three safeties are responsible for one third of the field. If you if you then as the middle safety, which is a lot of times Aishim Young or Lawrence White, if you're the middle safety and you kind of cheat towards the hash, you could look at your, the other safety is going to notice that you're cheating towards one of the ha- one of the hashes and might scoot over to kind of play play along with what you're doing to give the other team a look of like, wait a second, they have they have a guy in the hash and a guy in the hash. This means it's going to be uh, a, a, a a common way that quarterbacks read is middle open or middle closed. Is there a person in the middle of the field or is there not? So that pre-snap read of guy in the hash, guy in the hash might mean like, Hey, I think it's going to be middle open. I bet they're going to run a cover two or a cover four or something like that out of this. And then all of a sudden on the snap, because one guy decided to make his own decision, he moves to one area. The other guy recognizes what he's doing because he trusts, like you talked about, he trusts that I know that Greg knows what he's doing. So I'm going to just roll with what Greg is doing because I know he's going to end up getting back. He's not going to screw himself up on this play. So I'll play along with what he's doing. Then I'm going to get back to where I need to be because we're all going to get back to where we need to be. I don't need to cover for anybody. I don't need to, you know, if, if I'm on Anthony Johnson's side, Anthony Johnson's going to do his job. I don't have to, you know, I have to baby him to try and make sure no one gets beat over the top. There's this innate kind of freedom that I see what you're doing and we just kind of play along with what's going on, provided that it's within the scheme. Seeing the the one that I think I can think of that maybe would people that have listened to this podcast for a long time that I remember us talking about this a lot as being a, re, a really good example of this was what Clemson did against Alabama in the national championship game mm-hmm. two years ago and I think we called it it was like a banjo then was what mm-hmm. we what what you talked about it a lot as but that's like what that's more or less what it is. And that's where I remember at that time we talked about like Iowa state does some of those things, but at that time they were probably still young enough and didn't quite have enough of the personnel needed to do it at a really high level. Whereas now maybe they've gotten closer to that where it's like, you've got those guys that you feel really confident in being able to do it consistently rather than as like a change up. Does that, am I, am I on base there? You're hundred percent on base there, especially because so every defense has to have 11 functional parts. You know, like if there's one, especially against a team like Lincoln, that Lincoln Riley's coached by, uh, because I mean, we, the one part of this defense that makes me a little bit nervous is Datron Young. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't necessarily think that he is a bad player in and of himself, but opposing defenses know what his weaknesses are at this point. And when they see that he is on the field, they're going at him. And I think what the, and you know, we'll, we'll text about it during the game. You're like, dude, how is he on in this situation? How is he on the field? But I think what they do is they'll, they'll rotate him in to keep Tavon Kyle fresh for the end of the game. When there's a bigger opportunity that, you know, we, we need 13 to be, be good. 
in the back half of the game. So we're going to give him a little bit of rest and let the receivers get tired in the first half of the game and potentially give Datron Young that because he's not a bad player. He's just sometimes puts himself in bad situations. That's the only thing like as part of this defense that like every once in a while, he ends up getting blown by in these bad situations. But yeah, when you're talking about that, is that when Clemson beat the Jesus out of Tua Tagovailoa in the, the championship game, it was, they do, they did the same thing that Iowa state did to Spencer Rattler and has done to pretty much everybody is that they run, they, they flip these pre and post snap reads. It is also not coincidental that John Haycock and Brent Venables have worked over the last, what, three summers, whether one goes to Clemson or the other one comes to Ames, that they're just bouncing ideas off each other. It's not coincidental that those two are the, the kind of first that come to mind of running simple, but effective defenses that screw with the other quarterback's brain. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's flip it over to the uh, to the other side of the ball. And you talked about how Oklahoma's defense is a problem. I mean, to say that that group has improved from from where they were when the first time that they played might be an understatement. Uh, <laughs> they are they are drastically better than what they were at that time. Uh, what I mean, and you talked about Ronnie Perkins, number seven, uh, making a huge difference, and he's been, you know, an All Big Twelve guy since he came back from his suspension. What what other things do you see that have have really changed for that group? Well, the thing that uh, so Oklahoma is is actually a a really strong front seven, and it's weird because they lost a first round draft pick at linebacker with Kenneth Murray, but they got better in the front seven not because they lost him, but just because they finally got to buy into what Alex Grinch wants to do, which is really a similar thing that Iowa state does defensively, which is they're going to there. They finally got their defensive linemen to buy into the fact that you are going to be more successful when you stop thinking about yourself, when you stop thinking about being the guy that gets the tackle or the sack or the TFL or the pressure or trying to punk a, an offensive lineman that got that, that maybe called you stupid two plays earlier. Like there's once you realize that your job isn't to make every tackle and your job is to gum everything up. So your linebackers can make the tackle. That's when the, that's when a, a defense like a big 12 defense, which is now kind of a, a scheme of smaller numbers of defensive linemen and faster linebackers that, that scheme works. And so Oklahoma's defense, their rush defense is really good. I mean, Brees Hall had to be an absolute man. Like a, that might've, I don't know, that might've been his best game uh, in week or in, in that of the season in that week, just because of how, how much he had to create for himself because of what the defense presented for Oklahoma. Um, but at the same time, so their front seven is really good and it's really hard to run the ball against them. And the thing that Ronnie Perkins does that makes it more challenging is when you get past situations because that run defense is really good. You can't, it's the Will McDonald phenomenon. Like you can't single block that dude. You've got to spend someone else on him, whether it's a tight end or a, a send a guard and a tackle to him. But then that leaves single blocks elsewhere, which is where Oklahoma started to get pressure on bad longer down and distances. So if you get behind the sticks against Oklahoma because of that dude, you now have to worry about pass rush. But you, they've not grown any taller in the past three months, two months. So the disadvantage that Oklahoma still has is that they're little in the secondary. And the advantage that Iowa State still has is that they're big everywhere. 
And I think there was, I don't remember the exact number, but I think there were five holding or pass interference penalties on Oklahoma's defensive backs. And that's not including a lot of the stuff that was self-inflicted by Iowa State is this Iowa State team now is much more balanced than it was when it first got there. Because the only thing that Iowa State had from a passing standpoint is Charlie Kolar to areas in the field and Xavier Hutchinson when we could just get it to him somewhere inside of seven yards and hope that he does something crazy, which he did in that game. And Charlie also did something, you know, a couple crazy things. But there wasn't really anything else. Sean Shaw hadn't really done anything yet. Tariq Milton, I think, like hurt his shoulder in that game, didn't play between then and what was it, Texas? So like he didn't play for two months. And Landon Akers played well, but Landon Akers is a situational guy. He's a change of pace guy. He's not an every down player. And Brock didn't really have anyone to throw to, nor was there really any reason for a defense to care what Iowa State's you know, perimeter players were doing. They could just really focus on 28 and the tight ends and take away the 28 and the tight ends. And we're going to, if Xavier Hutchinson runs for a big play, I mean, that's not great, but let's let him have it. So this Iowa State team is much more balanced, which is going to be a really interesting task now that the linebackers, Oklahoma watched the Texas film. They saw Iowa State's tight ends with like 200 receiving yards. They also have smaller, less physical safeties than Texas does. So they're going to have to spend a little more linebacker mental space defending these tight ends because they can't shade their safeties or their corners towards the middle of the field because Shaw is now a player. Tariq Milton is now healthy. Xavier Hutchinson's getting better. So, and the offense is now much more open. So there's less of a Iowa State's going to run it on first down. They're going to throw it short on second down, and they're going to be th hopefully third and short, and then they're going to convert. And then they're going to throw it run on first down and throw it short on second down. There's much less, that, much less of that predictability, despite how good Brees Hall is. Now you can't just focus on Brees Hall. And if you do, other people are going to be open. So Oklahoma's defense is real unless you start getting to their secondary like Iowa State did in that game with bigger tight ends like Texas does with Sam Ellinger getting space, getting, getting away from that front seven, you can get to Oklahoma secondary. So I don't know. The, the game is going to be very physical from both sides, and Brock and Brees are both going to have to be really, really good because this Oklahoma defense is no joke. I think that this is going to be the best game of the weekend. In my mind, I think I think this and then Clemson Notre Dame are going to be the only two that are really even close because then Ohio State should beat Northwestern by a significant margin. I think Alabama is going to run Florida off the field, and then does Pac-12 even have a championship game? Uh, they do. It was supposed to be Washington USC. It was announced this morning that Washington does not have any offensive linemen, literally no offensive linemen, and uh, they've been replaced in the championship game by Oregon. Wow, that is. Uh, Talk about backing your way in. So uh, I don't really care about that game. I don't think that game really has any ramifications. So really, I think the, the uh, ACC what, you, and the Big 12. You, you don't think that Rutgers and Nebraska could be a, could be a great game for the weekend? <laughs> on, on Friday during the work day. <laughs> Friday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> in Piscataway. In lovely Piscataway. You better believe that uh, me and Chris Williams will be holed up at, uh, in our hotel room in Dallas, Texas, locked in. <laughs> to, to a game that means absolutely nothing. There is no ramification for winning or losing that, that game for either of them. None. But It doesn't matter. Um, still, still big game. Big game. Big game. No, I think this, I think this is going to be a super black and, like a black and blue, very physical game. I think the over-under is in what, in the upper 50s, which says an upper 20s game 
which I think is probably about right. I don't, I don't, I think both defenses are operating at a really elite level in college football. And I don't know if the other offenses are going to be able to go, you know, save for that first quarter where I bet Oklahoma gets two touchdowns in the first quarter, like just, or 10 points, like two scoring drives at least in the first quarter, just because that is what Oklahoma always gets out fast. Iowa state always gets out deliberately slow. The, the two things don't really match that well. And every game that Oklahoma and Iowa state have played, Oklahoma has gone out into an early lead. Iowa state reels them back in. Sometimes they beat them. Sometimes they don't. So it's, it's the professor's Oklahoma's gambit. Gonna get out in front. It's the professor's gambit. It is. It's, yeah. Professor's gambit. Uh, so there, the Oklahoma is going to get out in front, but here's another thing that I was watching. Um, and I was texting with Jay about this. Uh, Does Jeff, what do you have notes for the podcast? I, t- I do work, man. I do work, but, uh, I'm just going to read off just not a, just a condensed list. Iowa state had so many offensive self-inflicted stupid crap that we forget about because it was a win. So like, ah, it's not a big deal. Iowa state played awesome. They kind of didn't. They played like now, a this, Again, this Oklahoma defense is really, really good. And so some of these are kind of forced, you know, like a holding call because a guy's trying to get off a block or something like that. And like, you just hold on a little bit too long. Those, those aren't exclusively like offensive screw ups, but a lot of these are. So just as this is, I, I wrote these texts, I mean, halfway through the third quarter on rewatch, Iowa State in that game alone had three formation or false starts inside the 20. A personal foul forcing ISU to kick off from the minus 15 after a touchdown. A uh, timeout taken inside the red zone because they couldn't line up correctly to preserve some type of passing yardage. Uh, an obvious pressure allowed on a third down facing a field goal attempt on a four-man rush that Daryl Simmons just in his third game didn't – he just blocked wrong and left the defensive end completely unblocked. Uh, on a third down, Charlie, Charlie was open, but it was just a mental bust. Uh, a drop pass downfield by Allen, uh, by Chase Allen. Uh, a holding call that brought back 40 yard on a Kinney run. Two different substitution errors that led to rush snaps or a timeout they had to take. Uh, there's a holding inside the 10. A drop touchdown pass by Landon Akers. Uh, they had to save a delay of game on a timeout after second 18. After getting pushed back out of the red zone on a holding call, they had a. Third and twenty, third and goal from the 22 after being first and goal from the six. Uh, Brock got hit as he threw, barely escaped an interception, and then got stri- had a strip sack that he recovered his own fumble, and then the following drive had a strip sack that was recorded by, recovered by Oklahoma. So not to say that Iowa State played poorly, but they didn't really play that well on offense against Oklahoma. Part of that is Oklahoma's defense being really good, but I think the notion, like Oklahoma's what, like a six-point favorite or something like that? Like, it, it, I think it opened been, at four. Yeah, and the line's been bet up. It's like four and a half or five, maybe even up to six. Like, I think that's just brand betting. That is just people getting action on Oklahoma, or Vegas getting action on Oklahoma just because it's OU. But Oklahoma still had their fair share of screw-ups as well, like dropped touchdown passes, dropped, I mean, fumbles, interceptions, stuff like that. They screwed up their fair amount too. But there was a lot of unforced errors that Iowa State had that we've not seen them make in the past month and a half, two months. Like Kansas State, Texas, and uh, West Virginia, we've seen them much more efficient and much less self-inflicted than they were in the beginning part of the season. So I don't know. I just This confirms the fact, I think, to me that this is, like you mentioned, going to be the best game of the weekend. And whether or not Iowa State wins, personally, I think they do because I, don't, I think they're more complete than Oklahoma is. They have 
the, the Oklahoma, or Oklahoma's defensive secondary is still a little bit of a liability when you get them in situations they don't want to. But I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa State does, you know, Oklahoma does come out of this game just because they're both really good. They're really balanced. And I don't know, this, the opportunity to play in Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship with both teams clicking, I think that's the cool part. So I don't know. We can get into, we can talk like what to look for and like to round out the podcast. But I, I think the first game, both teams screwed up enough that you can not throw it out, but you don't base everything off of the first game because both have come a long way from that first game. All right. So what are the things that, especially early in the game, people should be keeping an eye on to, to get an indication of, of how things are going? If it's the first quarter and Iowa State is down by two scores, stay sober enough to enjoy the rest of the game. That is, Iowa State is fine. If you listen to this podcast enough, you understand kind of the, you know, the professor's gambit that you kind of joked about. Like, if Iowa State is down by a couple scores in the first quarter, it is okay. Oklahoma always starts fast. Iowa State always lets them get out in front, and then they make their adjustments, and we're game on. So that's number one. Number two is, I think, uh, one other thing that I was noticing is, I think Iowa State is going to try and put Oklahoma in these positions that disadvantage the secondary, but I don't know if they're going to do that right away. I would imagine they're going to try and be at least a little bit aggressive, but you don't want to go Oklahoma first drive where, you know, that notorious seven play 85 yard drive that they just take and just zip down the field. You don't want to go three and out after that and just put your defense right back on the field for another six play touchdown drive. So I would imagine they're a little bit conservative to start, but as soon as the game gets moving, I would imagine they're going to start getting plays to like Shaw and Kolar and, and Allen and Hutchinson. They're trying to put these guys in positions that the defense has to back out of the box because they're getting pass interference or holding or, or big plays down the middle of the field or down the end of the field, like the Texas game, where you are straining them where they are not okay to be strained. So I think that's another thing is if Iowa State's tight ends and receivers are getting in the first half, you know, beginning part of the third quarter, if they're still getting some type of movement in the, in the passing game, especially to the perimeter, Iowa State's in a really good position because by that time they pulled their guys out of the box and then you let 28 go to town in the back half of the game with, you know, with a fatigue defense that had to run around all over the field and a lighter box because of pass success, they're going to be fine. So one, Stay sober enough to enjoy the game, even if Iowa State gets down by a couple scores early. Two, look for Brock to be uh, like he has the past few weeks of a distributor to all around the field, not just in the field. And the other thing is, I think, I, I would imagine Oklahoma's, uh, one of Oklahoma's adjustments that they're going to make from the first game is this is going to be less formation you into different crazy things and more just like straight up, Let's let's roll because in the first game, they would trade their tight ends. They'd motion another tight end. They'd then motion a different tight end across and Oklahoma would jump back and forth like 50 different times and that you're not sure where they were going to line up, which most of the time led to Iowa State being able to get some space. I bet Oklahoma plays it much straighter and there's much less bouncing on strengths and stuff and moving to with the tight ends or whatever. So I would imagine Iowa State early tries to fill them out. Oklahoma says, nope, we're going to play it here just like this. And then who can execute better. So if I, Brock is passing early and being pretty efficient, successful, you know, in the first half, good news for Iowa state. If they're within 10 points going into the second half, good for Iowa state. And then 
enjoy it. Like this is, you're going to watch really high level football on both sides of both teams. And I don't know, enjoy the ride. Like that's the thing. So it don't, don't get too crazy. If Iowa state is down for a bit, it's going to end up coming down to a hell of a nail biter to finish. Just what we all want. Make sure if you're headed to Texas, pass, pack your anxiety medication is what Jeff Woody says. <laughs> and a fair bit of Cody Road. <laughs> a fair bit of Cody Road. Always, always got to take, uh, take your Cody Road. All right, buddy. Um, you're going to be down in Dallas, right? Yep, flying out Friday. What time are you going to be there? Uh, we'll leave. Uh, flight leaves, I think, at 3.30 out of Des Moines. We get down there maybe like 8.30 or 9 o'clock. Um, then we're staying until Monday. We fl we fl cheaper flight was Monday morning than Sunday night, so we're flying out Monday morning. I gotcha. Uh, maybe we'll have to uh, get together. Me and Jay Jordan have discussed potentially watching Iowa State basketball together Friday night. Mm. Mm. Doesn't that a sound little, like uh, a hell of a Friday night? A little Friday night with uh, Jay and Jared watching Iowa State basketball? A little Friday night with Jay, Jared, and Chris Williams watching some Iowa State hoops. Maybe, <laughs> maybe get a little crazy and do some, they, uh, some play diagrams with the condiments. Like, it could get say, interesting. I, I think uh, getting up on Saturday morning might be a little rough after that experience, but I think I'm in. Especially uh, when you consider the fact that Iowa State plays, what, number 10 West Virginia Friday night? Uh, Press Virginia. And uh, that's, it, it, might, it might quickly devolve into not talking about the basketball game. Yeah. Uh, based on the way that Luca Garza played against the men's basketball team on Friday night and the fact they've got to play Oscar Tshibwe and, uh, and those guys for West Virginia, I, I imagine that it will not be one that we would prefer to remember. But Not that's super just, ideal. But yeah. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I'm pumped, dude. I'm pumped. Should be a, should be a fun one. All right, buddy. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. I guess if you're not going to get back until Monday, we'll have to figure out when we're going to do the podcast. But uh, we'll get it figured out. Sounds good, man. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Go Cyclones.